If you have a Bible with you today, find the book of Acts, and we're going to be in chapter number five. Acts chapter five is where we're going to be. Uh, and today is just the third week in a series of messages that we've just, we've just used the word glory. We've used the word glory. And today, the message part of our service is going to be a little bit short. And so turn to your neighbor and say, I love it when the sermon is a little bit short. <laughs> say that. Now turn back to them and say, I, I didn't mean that. Uh, Pastor Kyle is a little sensitive and that, those words are hurtful. And I didn't mean that. Okay, there we go. But we've been asking this question We've been asking a hard question. The question has just simply been, what does it look like for us to live as followers of Christ in a culture that is marked by wealth, safety, and freedom? And we've been talking and looking at people around the world and people in history and persecution and poverty and all this type of stuff. And we here in America live in with religious freedom. We can gather together like this without any issues. We can own a Bible uh, we can talk freely about what we believe without having issues of getting in trouble around the world. That is not the case. And we've, and we've been talking about this for the last two weeks, how blessed we are, how incredible it is for us as Christians in America. But listen, we have also been talking about the temptation that we face with freedom and wealth. The temptation we face is complacency and apathy religiously and spiritually. It is something that we get hit up with. It is something that, if we're not careful, attacks us at every angle. And understand, the Bible never calls wealth a sin. It is not wrong for us to have money and to have more than we need. Living in freedom is not a sin, but the Bible does clearly warn us about some of this stuff. With wealth, safety, and freedom comes the temptation for complacency. And we've been talking about how American Christianity has kind of been marked by this lack of desperation for God, a lack of need for God. We don't need to pray to God for our daily bread. We just walk across the room to the kitchen and we have cupboards, right? We have a refrigerator filled with stuff. The Bible tells us to pray for our daily. We don't need to do that. And we've been, pulling, we've been talking about the pull of the world, which is the wording the book of James uses, the idea that there is a battle that is going on inside of us all the time, a battle between the things of God and the things of the world. And it's pulling us in one direction and the other, and how that will play out, like it plays out in the way that we live. And, and for me, like last week was just so powerful. It was, I, I was faced with this reality that I absolutely knew, but I needed to hear again and again and again. It's the very, it's the simple fact that the more that I have, the more safety and freedom I enjoy, the more the world pulls at me towards whatever. And, and all of this has left us with this tension, attention of what does it look like for us to live as devote, passionate followers of Jesus in America 2023 when we have more than we need and we are free to do that. Okay, that, that was the past two weeks. And if you missed either of those messages, they were in, in, intensely powerful for me. You can watch either of those things on our website. Today is kind of part three. If, it's, if you haven't been here the past two weeks, you're kind of getting a little bit in the middle of this whole thing. Uh, but I believe this is going to be relevant no matter where you are or if this is your, even your first time, okay? The last two weeks, we get, we've ended up in the same place, and the answer to the question we're asking seems biblically to just be found in this word humility. Humility. 
But what I've come to realize as I've studied this more and more in my life is that my understanding of the word humility, especially in a biblical God-focused point of view, is actually way more limited than I ever thought. Uh, And I simply mean that it can be difficult to truly understand humility as it relates to God. And so today, we are going to quickly look at a passage of Scripture together. It's a passage of Scripture that revolves around money, but as we're going to see and learn very quickly, money is not the issue in our passage of Scripture. These are heart issues, and that's what we're going to learn and what this is about. Okay, and this story just helps me in this journey. So uh, before we get to the Bible, will you stand with me, and we're just going to pray together and kind of invite God into this moment. God, we, we worship you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done. We are blessed beyond measure, and I pray, Lord, that as we are here today with open hearts and open minds that you would speak. That, God, don't let this be my creative stuff, my thinking and my whatever. Let this be your very word that comes and moves and helps and teaches and all of that. So, Lord, we give this to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right. We got to go quickly. Are you ready? We got to move quickly because the second service has to get in here and we got to clear the parking lot. That's a very churchy thing to say, isn't it? But that's just the reality here. Okay. Uh, Let me set this up in this way. The story of Jesus in the Bible is only found in four of the 66 books that we have. Those four are called the Gospels. This is very elementary for some of us. The word gospel just means the good news. So four of the books in the Bible tell the good news of Jesus. One of those four books is called the Gospel of Luke. We call it Luke because, do you know who wrote it? Wow, all the smart people come to the first service. I knew that, okay? Uh, the, The Gospel of Luke, written by a man named Luke. Luke was a doctor by trade, thought to be a highly educated man in that first century. And he began to travel around. He was not a direct Uh, acquaintance or follower of Jesus. He comes into the picture a little bit later, but he begins to travel around asking people, talking to people who had seen all of these things that Jesus had done. He interviews the disciples that were with Jesus in different ways, and then he begins to write out his account of the life of Jesus, all the way from the birth of Jesus. Luke tells the most uh, inclusive, best version of the story of the Christmas, okay, all the way through his death and his resurrection. But here's what's awesome about this man named Luke. The other three people who wrote the gospel stopped right there. The end of the story for them was Jesus died, rose again, and leaves. And then Luke sets out and says, no, 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 I'm not done yet. And he begins to go into a whole second volume, a second part to the whole story, and it's called the book of Acts, or or the Acts of the Apostles is what that means, where Luke begins to tell the story of what has happened and what is happening for the 30 or so years after Jesus Jesus died and was raised from the dead. And, and so the, the book of Luke ends with Jesus right there. The book of Acts then picks up and Jesus leaves. And now that these new people, these new Christians are trying to figure out what it looks like for them to be followers of Jesus now that Jesus is gone and they're just trying to okay, do all of this stuff, okay? Now, what we're going to read, Acts chapter 5, is this crazy, harsh, weird story of a man and his wife. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, this is very towards the front of this beginning of this book of Acts, and we're going to read that story in a moment, but let me set it up this way. 
Okay, the five or six verses before what we are about to read together tell the, tells us that these early Christians begin to sell their stuff and give it to help each other. Okay, it's not, it's, I, I do not believe that this is like we should be living in communes and that's the way we should live now. This is what happened in, in this, these first Christians, they'll begin to sell things and they help people who are in, in poverty and they're doing all this type of stuff. Uh, they're incredibly generous, generous with each other. And then we have this verse, and this is important to the story we'll get to in a moment. This is Acts 4.34. It says, From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. There was people that were selling their homes and selling their land and taking all that money and giving it to this new movement that was Jesus and his church, and they would distribute that to all of those types of things. And all that sets us up for chapter 5, which begins with this. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So these people are doing this, and now we get a specific story about it. Okay, uh, Verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, Ananias and his wife sold this piece of land. They talk about it, and they keep part of it for themselves, and they give part of it to this church. Sounds like a good thing to me, right? Like, that makes sense. They're being generous. This is great. Verse number three, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. That escalated quickly, didn't it? Like these people sell their stuff and they bring some of the money to the church and all of a sudden the church leader Peter says, you stinkers. Uh, how and why and okay and all this type of stuff and then this is my favorite part is verse number five when Ananias heard this he fell down dead and died okay let's pray and go home no no we're gonna take another offering now that we have this in mind and no that's a terrible joke okay and great fear seized all who heard what had happened then some young men came forward wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him falls down dead. What in the world is going on? Uh, Verse number seven, the story continues about three hours later. His wife comes in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yeah, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. This Peter is no joke, is he? Okay? And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these things. Now, here's what makes this so confusing for me. It's just like, okay, we don't see anything else like this in the Bible. This is the only story that has anything like this even ever happen. This is strange. It's unique. It's harsh. This is months into Christianity being a thing. Jesus is just like left, uh, died, rose. He was hung out for 40 days, and then he leaves. And now we have the beginning of this church. They don't have to sell their stuff and give it to the church. They didn't have to do that. There was no... There was no telling that they had to do that. That was not part of the deal here. And they show up to the church giving a large donation, and they end up dead. Now, we could spend uh, 
hours picking this apart. We don't have time to do that. But let me just like paint a small picture of this as it relates to what we're talking about uh, in this series. Just understand this has always been and will always be about our hearts. Okay, this story, like, just to just kind of to blow your mind a little bit, I know this story is really not about money. It's not about how much is given. It's not about how much isn't given. It's not about, for us, it's not about church services, and it's not about that stuff. Religious rules and traditions, and like, just understand Christianity and our cre- connection with God has everything to do with the condition of our hearts. It's this inside thing. It's deep down in there. We can go through all the sorts of religious stuff, but if our hearts are not in it, then it is godless. It is not real. It is farce, and it is not good. And we have an extreme example here of, 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 of these Christians, or so-called Christians, who a heart mistake was made, and I don't know if they were made an example for the world or what's going on here, okay? But seriously, a heart issue leads to this. Proverbs chapter 4 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, when we read verses in the Bible about our heart, this is obviously not like the blood-pumping organ inside of us. This is something different. This is the deep down inside of you And the scripture says that guard that because everything else in your life and in your world flows out of that. You can be putting on a show and you can be doing certain things and you can look all whatever, but the inside is what the overflow, that will come out in some point. We are reading a story of a couple who has wealth in this world They own property in the first century. They sell some of that. They give it to a church, but their motives, their heart was in the wrong place. In fact, their motives, though to some looked generous, their motives were actually quite self-seeking. And we could talk about them keeping some of the money for themselves, but scripturally, I don't see any issue with that. Keep money for yourselves. This is like, let's not go there. The issue was that they lied. And the question that I have is, why would they lie about this? Why would they show up giving a substantial sum of money and in a way lie about it? And the the easy answer is this, so they would appear a certain way to the people around them. So they would look good to the people. So they would come across more spiritual or more generous or more whatever. This was self-motivated and it was self-seeking and it was pride at its very worst, taking the glory that is due to God and sneakily finding a way to put it on themselves. And what I've come to realize about myself is that I do this too all the time, all the time. It may not look the same. It may not be about money for me and selling and giving, but like, like I do this. I take I take the glory that is due to God and I underhandedly attempt to turn the attention on to me. The word is pride and, and the, most often we associate this word pride with like some arrogant self-obsessed athlete, don't we? We're like, that dude's, look at that. He's, he scored the touchdown, he's pointing at the name on the back of his shirt and he's doing whatever and we're like, that guy's he's wrong, he's bad. He's so proud. That's the way that we think about this. But understand, like pride is sneaky and pride is all around us and pride is almost impossible to see in ourselves. 
But there it is, and, and it's toxic. And the more I have, the more I'm tempted to take all the glory for all the stuff in my life and make my life all about me. Throw me that red thing here for me. In a way, what I've come to realize is it's like I carry around this kind of metaphorical spotlight. Okay? Wow, you feel that? <laughs> That's kind of fun. So, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, that's all right. But we all kind of carry this thing around in a way, and, and it's not real. We don't really carry that, okay? Some of you don't know how to turn the flashlight off your phone off, but that's another story, okay? Uh, but but I, I, we carry these things around, and, and I, get to sh- I get to choose where I shine this thing. I get to choose. Now, I don't think about it this way. This all happens like subconsciously, and, and, and it doesn't really work that way as easy as this sounds. But like I get to choose where I shine this, and my default is to walk around in a way shining this thing on me. And I stand around and I tell stories about how things used to be for me, and maybe I was like really good at athletics, and I, remember, I tell the stories about that stuff, pointing the thing back at me. And I'm good at certain things, and so I, like, I kind of like to have people know that about me. And so I find ways to bring that up, just out of the blue. And it's not like I say, hey, do you know I'm actually super good at this? No, 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 I say it in other ways. I sneak it in there. So that the spotlight goes back on me, and I make myself look better. And there are times, if I'm honest with myself, that I, that I have this attitude of like, I'm such a good Christian. And I, I never miss church. Of course, you're the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> 52 weeks out of the year, everybody. <laughs> 52. I'd like to see you match that. <laughs> I give money. I pray. I do all this stuff. I look the part and all that stuff. And I, I find ways to talk about my kids that like actually kind of puff me up. And some of us are like, I'm super proud of my kids, but then I'm like, you know, someone's telling a story about their kids, and I'm saying, yeah, but my kid actually, you know, and I like go over the top of them. You ever done that before? Why do I do that? That's so dumb, and it's so self-seeking. It's, it, it, I find ways to puff me up. I buy things, and I like to show them off. I actually have a, like, I don't know if you noticed, but I love my shoes today. They're fantastic. <laughs> I got them for $17 on clearance. That's pretty sweet. Okay? And the, but then there are other times, and, and this is funny, but this is very real for me. There are other times when I don't buy things, and I like to pretend that I'm sacrificing. It's all pride. And it's all about me, and I'm finding there are a million ways and a million things that I do to glorify myself and to make me the spotlight in my life. But understand this, some of the harshest language that we see in the Bible is actually about this word pride. Let me show you four of them quickly. Go ahead and put that slide on the screen for me. Here's just a handful. God opposes the proud. Opposes. Like he goes in the other direction. He turns away from God detests the proud. That, that word detest is fascinating because understand these weren't written in English. We have English translations, so there's complexity to all of this translation. Like this word 
could also be just flat out translated as disgusts. Like, not like he talked about it, but disgusted. God is disgusted by pride. Uh, Psalm 101, God will not tolerate the proud. Just will not tolerate. Psalm chapter 18, God will humiliate the proud. This is what we have in the scripture. And it's again and again, this is just all I could fit on the page right there. Okay, he opposes, he detests, he will not tolerate, he, will, he humiliates. There's something about the word pride. And again, our default is to say, that's not me. That's that, that's that guy. And in us pointing our finger, if you didn't know this, it's actually another version of pride. Do you know that sometimes we point out the faults of other people to make ourselves even look better? It's another way we do this. There's something about pride that seems to move God farther away. We take the glory that is due him and we turn it on ourselves. And biblically, it's disgusting. The exact opposite seems to happen with this word humility. Go ahead and put that second half of this thing up here. Here's what the Bible says about humility. James 4, the humble will be given grace. Matthew 23, the humble will be exalted. The humble will be rescued. The humble are shown favor. There is something about humility in a person's life that seems to trigger something in the very heart of God. God gives grace and God exalts and God rescues. He shows favor to the humble. Humility says it's all about you, God. I have nothing without you. You are why I'm alive. You are why I have anything that I have. It's all about you. Music team, will you please come? The most simplistic way, and we just have a few minutes and we're going to sing a song together just before we go as well. The most simplistic way imaginable, the solution, the answer to our question is for us as we're asking the question, how do we live our lives as followers of Jesus in a culture that is filled and marked by wealth, safety, and freedom? The simple answer is that we try to figure out how to take this and point it towards God. And that everything in our life, in this goofy spotlight that we carry around, the goal of our entire life is that God would be glorified. That God would get the glory, that Jesus would be exalted, that Jesus would be the focus. And we begin to figure out what it looks like for us to do that. We point it in that direction, that our lives would point to his goodness, that our lives would be about giving him glory, that our lives would be about God being glorified. Now understand, this is not something that we ever truly figure out. It's not something that you will ever completely master. This is why, and Tori said this so perfectly in her little thing, is in the words through Aaron, she just said, man, this is about taking up my cross and every day making a choice. It's about dying daily to ourselves. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 16, which is where all this comes from. It said, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, the word disciple is just the word follower, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it deny themselves we have humility language here deny 
themselves, take up their cross. The cross is a symbol of death. In our culture, you could be like, take up the lethal injection needle. Take up the electric chair. Like That's the language that this would have sounded like for these people. What's the point here? It's like, personally, you die every single day. Not a physical death. That's not what this is, okay? Don't be weird. This is about every day saying myself, me. That's not what this is about. It's about you. Self-denial and death to self. Please stand with me all over this place. Before we go, we're just going to take, I don't know, three minutes and we're just going to sing together. But for me, like this is this has been a real journey for me. And and I have to be careful here, and let me tell you why. Because even when I stand up here and talk about humility, there are ways and words that I use that can make myself look better. And you can look at me and say, wow, isn't he humble? And it's pointing the glory in me and not in the right direction. And I, and if I'm honest with myself and I'm okay if I'm the only one in this place that like this stuff oozes out of me all the time, every moment. It's this pull of the world is about me and I'm the center and I'm what matters. Come and look here and see this. And biblically, it's just a train wreck. So God, I just pray. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would show us. I pray, God, that we would be more aware of the pride that shows itself in our lives all the time, the way that we think, the attitudes that we have, the things that we say. God, we know that you're not asking us to just live as like super weird monks that, okay, whatever. But Lord, there is this sense of we get off course and offline very easily. And this all becomes very self-centered very quick. And I just pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd help us. Show us our weakness. Show us the things that are not okay. And teach us how to live and find your grace again and again. We worship you. We are grateful, God, in your name.